Hello everyone and welcome. My name is Andrew. And I'm Rachel. And we are Picture the Scene Podcast, a true crime podcast aiming to put you, the listener, at the scene of the crime. We bring you a new episode on a weekly basis, mainly focusing on lesser known crimes from the UK and Ireland. However, at times we expand into cases from anywhere in the world and all ones that are well known. As we are a true crime podcast, listener caution is always advised. If you like what you hear, please do follow us on whatever social media platform you prefer, along with wherever you're listening. If you have the capability, please give us a rating and review as well. It means the world to us. Now finally, as I never enjoy the self-promotion bit, but it is needed, if you like us that much that you want to support us, you can do so for less than the price of a cup of tea or coffee on Patreon. We release bonus content every month and have plans for additional content too very soon. The links to our social medias and Patreon can be found in the show notes or visit patreon.com slash scenepod, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash s-c-e-n-e-p-o-d. So Rachel, how have you been? What's new in your life? I mean, I'm not going to lie, Andrew, that was such a long intro that I'm pretty sure our listeners thought you were you were going it alone this week. No. Um, but yeah, I, I'm good. It's been a whole week since we went weekly, so nice to be speaking to you so soon after we did last time. Yes, it feels like I haven't even said goodbye to you. So... It may be to it may be twenty twenty three, but some things never change. And one of those things is this question. Are you ready for some true crime? I was born ready. Perfect answer. So, everyone out there, if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like all of you to relax, close your eyes and picture the scene. I'd like to take us back to the twelfth of september two thousand and twelve to just a little past 6am that morning, and we're in the small village of Ashill in the county of Somerset. Now it's got a small population of around 600 people in 2012. So you can imagine it's not a hotbed of crime, or actually it's not a hotbed of any activity at all, usually. Now the earliest time it was recorded had been in existence was as usual in the Doomsday Book of 1086, when it had 21 households living in it, and all of the village was owned by either the St. Peter Abbey or Count Robert of Mortain. And I just wanted to pop that in there because that's such a cool name. But moving back, away from 1086, to this fateful morning in 2012, local residents and motorists would call 999 and ask for the fire service, as in a lay-by close to the village, a car was on fire, a red Ford Focus. As it was a little after 6 when the fire was reported, 6.22 to be exact, it was still dark, but with the first flickers of daybreak appearing, with full sunrise to occur at 6.42 that morning, so the fire would have really stood out against still almost dark backdrop. It was a dry morning, and a decent temperature for the time of year, around 12 degrees Celsius, which is 53 degrees Fahrenheit, but it was reasonably windy, with a 16 mile an hour wind, so the residents or motorists might have been worried that the fire may spread. Once the fire brigade got there, it didn't take them long to put the fire out, and what they found in the car 
wasn't what they were expecting or hoping for. Can I just say before you really dive into the gruesome details, you also can't say those two words together about the emergency services. Fire service. <laughs> well, you actually said brigade. 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 Yeah. I? Yeah. But I too can't say the two words together. So that is like another thing we have in common. I won't even try because it is such a tongue twister for me. I can't cope. Um, but yeah, nice to know I'm not the only one. Okay, um, but uh, I'm sorry. Uh, I, I don't think this is going to be the type of episode where I'm going to be able to like have any humorous moments. So I just wanted to get that in there really quick. That's okay. No bother. No, now you just made me feel self-conscious about yet yeah, another word that I can't say. Awesome. My apologies. You'll uh, try anyway. Yes. You always do. It's, it's, yes, it's... And God loves a tryer. Um, so, what they found was a burned body of a person, a woman to be exact, who was quite blatantly dead, sat in the front seat of the car. Now, even though they didn't know straight away, due to the state of the body, because of the fire, the person they had found in the car was Catherine Wells Burr, who was 23 years old. She was a recent first-class honours degree student in business administration from Bath Spa University. She was a homeowner of a house. She shared with a partner, Raphael Nowak, which was in Willow Way in the nearby town of Chard, which was some seven miles or about 15 minutes drive away from where her body was found. Now, Catherine had grown up in the local area, so she was very much a part of the community and was well-loved and known in the area. While she was at university studying, she took up a summer job at the local pneumatics factory in charge, working on a production line. Now, the factory produced different home appliances, probably the most famous one being Henry the Hoover, which I'm sure you're aware of, Rachel. I am indeed. Had a couple of Henrys in my lifetime. And I won't delve deeper into that because it's not that time for pot, but yes. Um, it was a natural step for her as both of her parents also worked for the company. She quickly became known as a reliable, friendly and hard worker. And it was while working in this factory on the production line that she met her partner, Rafael Nowak. Now Rafael was in a relationship when they met with an Anna Laguinowicz. You see, Boy. I said you would try. You always yes. do. <laughs> but, but he, I was waiting for that, but he split with her after a few months to be with Catherine. Oh, wow. Now, by the following summer, Catherine had finished her degree and she was still dating Raphael. And it was serious, Rachel. He even called Catherine's parents mummy and dad. Oh, God. That's immediately showing a red flag to me <laughs> yes i actually thought that when i read that but yes the whole family would often do activities together Catherine, rafael and her parents and one example would be that they went to a lee evans comedy stand-up gig together so they were quite close all of them right and then like when he went around for tea he'd be like mummy can i have some bacon with my egg yeah quite, oh. poss- quite possibly yeah I'm so, sorry, I, that's the first time I've heard of a, a spouse calling 
the mum and mummy. Oh, that freaks me out. Yes, exactly. Um, so Anna, Raphael's ex, I'm not going to pronounce his name, wasn't, okay. ha- wasn't happy that he had, you know, Anna that I spoke about before, wasn't happy that he had left her for Catherine. She would plant things around the flat that Catherine and Raphael shared, things which would give the impression that Catherine was being unfaithful to Raphael. How did she get in the flat? Because she stayed friends with Raphael. Wow, okay. So she was disguising her friendship to be able to, like, just sow the seeds of doubt. Yeah. Wow. She, even, she even texted Catherine during her graduation ceremony that she was with Raphael in her bed. So she was making Catherine believe that Raphael was being inappropriate and making Raphael believe that Catherine was being inappropriate. No, no, no she was making Raphael think that Catherine was being inappropriate, yeah. But then, but no, but... But she wasn't making Raphael, uh, Catherine think that Raphael was being inappropriate because Raphael was being inappropriate. So, understandably, when Catherine got this message, she confronted Raphael, who did admit that it was true. Okay. Wasn't expecting that. Yeah. But he said that Anna had lured him there and then drugged him and slept with, slept with him that way. They broke up, obviously, but soon afterwards they got back together again. That's Catherine so and what- Raphael. What's the truth then? Was he drugged or was it was that just a convenient excuse? Was he really just having both women off? Both women. Wow, what a whopper. Um, but Anna knew this, though. Catherine didn't know this, but Anna knew this. So Catherine's parents, now especially her mother Jane, they were worried about her daughter. Now she'd heard different rumours about Raphael at work, as they were in the same place, if you remember. Rumours that he had a wife and daughter already back in his native Poland. So she told her daughter, but Catherine dismissed them as rumours. And because she could see how much... Did Jane stop allowing him to call her mummy? No. Because she could see how much Catherine loved Raphael, even though she had her doubts, she put them to one side and made sure she support her, supported her daughter and she welcomed Raphael even more into her home and family still. Wow. What a shame. So as Catherine had graduated, with honours, she stayed with the pneumatics factory, but took up a new job as a graduate trainee, rather than on a production line. So things were looking good for her. And a few months later, early in 2012, Catherine and Raphael bought a house together, that house in Willow Way, if you remember, in Chard. They managed to do so because once again, Catherine's parents, who only wanted the best for her do- their daughter, helped them buy the property. Rafal was just on a meal ticket here, wasn't he? We'll see. He pro- probably didn't really love Catherine, just throwing this out there, but was taking all that he could in terms of progress in life. Yep, yeah, I'll take a, a house, the car, you know, whatever else I can, whilst I can. So, Nasty piece of work. Potentially, he, he might have not done anything yet. We've still got. Well, the, you slept with still, Anna. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, yeah, nasty. But I mean, he might not have been the one to kill Catherine. We've still got um, the ex. I wasn't insinuating that cheating is enough. It is but enough. Sorry, right. carry on. It's enough. You're right. Um, I enjoy our chats, Rachel. <laughs> By March of 2012, Raphael and Anna were seeing each other again. 
this time in secret, spending hours on the phone together, regularly meeting, sometimes up to twice a day to have sex with each other. By May of 2012, so as you, you're right, yeah, he is a bit of a knob, more than a bit of a knob. Um, by May 2012, they were deep in their affair. Catherine was still blissfully unaware of what was happening, and she was happy, believing that they loved each other and they would be together for all of their lives. So in the same month of May, the pair, that's Raphael and Anna, would make some visits to some solicitors, not in child mind, because they didn't want Catherine or her family finding out, because it's only a small place, but mm. in nearby Taunton. Now, can you guess what questions they were asking the solicitors? What they're entitled to in the event that they separate versus in the event that Catherine dies, right? Quite possibly, yes. Yeah. So the questions were all based around what were Raphael's rights to share the house, and they also made inquiries about the life insurance that they both had to take out due to buying the house. Yeah, so just yeah. to clarify, he was l- approaching from both avenues, right? It yeah, wasn't how, purely how, with the intent of killing her. No, no. It was, if they if they were no longer yeah. together, what how much of the house he would get, and if okay. she died, would would he get her life insurance? Okay, so at least he's making an educated decision, right? Yeah. So while they were doing this, though, Anna also did some things herself. She created several email accounts, all of which she would pretend to be men, one for each account, and she would send sexual messages to Catherine, pretending to be interested in her, se- interested in her sexually and propositioning her. Now, Catherine never um, entertained any of these so-called men. Oh, gosh. But she kept, she kept sending them. And Anna also created fake profiles on different adult dating websites, all under Catherine's name, pretending to be her, looking, wow. for, looking for men to have sex with. Now... We know now, we we also know by now that Anna's cousin, you're going to love me for this, Tedev's Dimitrizin, was, was also involved because the day after creating one of these accounts, computer records showed that he accessed one of them. Oh, wow. Okay, so it was a family affair. Plen- like, plenty of people could have, well, yeah. There were enough people that could have stepped in, intervened and stopped Anna from the self-destruction path that she was on in terms of ruining Catherine's life. Yeah. Now, wow. they would, Anna would take photographs of Catherine from her social media platforms oh, and then God. find photos online, porn photos, that would match Catherine's body type and general looks and upload them alongside Catherine's real photos to the adult websites. Oh, my God, this is awful. Catfishing yeah. again. Didn't we speak about this on last week's episode? Yes. Like catfishing in a different way, but yeah, catfishing. Absolutely awful. Now, Rafael, you think well, maybe Rafael doesn't know what um, Anna's doing, but Rafael would also secretly record Catherine in their own home. <gasps> no, with, with devices that Anna would give him, often in compromising positions or in states of undress. Oh my God, what an awful human being. So from July of 2012 onwards, they stepped it up a gear, deciding that they needed to cover their tracks. They would communicate with each other via the email account and had that was linked to a library account. 
And they also bought two SIM cards, one each, and they kept them secret and hidden and would use these to text with each other. Raphael himself... This is wild. Yes, it is wild, yes. Now, Raphael himself did have that wife and child that Catherine's mum, Jane, had heard a rumour about. It wasn't just a rumour, as Catherine thought it was, probably because she she was told by Raphael that it wasn't real, but he did. He lived with them back in his native Poland, and he also had a criminal record back in Poland. He had been convicted of physically abusing his wife. Oh my God, talk about a double life. In 2008, while he was in Poland, living with his wife and child, he was chatting to Anna, who lived in England, in chat rooms online, and Anna convinced him to move to England and ditch his family. Wow. And he did so, leaving them with £6,500 worth of debt, which was a oh. decent amount of debt for that time in Poland. Yeah. And he got this debt because he had been drinking driving, drinking and driving, and he'd been in an accident. And that was the amount that was not covered by the insurance. So not only did Raphael abandon his family, wanting nothing to do with them, Anna would then, once Raphael was in England, text Raphael's wife from Raphael's phone, telling her that he, he wanted nothing to do with his son. Anna would also message her wife via text and phone her, threatening her with violence. When he's with his wife saying that she no longer recognised the person that Raphael had turned into, and that she was both afraid and frightened. Oh, my God. So, Rachel, and I know you hate these questions because you think I'm going to go off on a wild tangent here, and I might be, but mm. what are your thoughts so far? Do you think it's Sam Dunk that they both killed Catherine? Or maybe one of them or someone totally different? I mean, every time that I think I've got it dead certain on who is going to be the perpetrator here, you throw another curveball in. So I, I can't, I can't, I wouldn't even hazard a guess right now. I'm going to wait patiently for you to tell me. So let's go back to the morning of the 12th of September, shall we? We've got enough context now, which was a Wednesday. So it was a normal working day for most. And this was no different for Raphael who clocked in at his job at exactly 5.39am that morning, so before the fire started in Catherine's car. So, do you still think he did it? No, but that doesn't mean that he didn't plan it. He doesn't have to set the flame to like be the, the person pulling the strings, right? Possibly. So, let's look at what happened, shall we? So, at about 9am that morning, Raphael, who was in work by now, if you remember... He yeah. calls Catherine's sister, Leanne, to say that Catherine had not turned up to work and he'd worried about her. So could she go and check on Catherine to see if she's home? By the time 10.30 comes around, both Raphael and Catherine's parents go to their home in Willow Way to look for her. Now, she wasn't there because she was already dead at this point, if you remember, but yeah. they, did, they didn't know that yet. No. So they called the police to report her missing because they thought that it was strange. At midday, detectives arrived at Catherine's home, with everyone still there, Raphael and Catherine's parents, to break the news to them that they discovered Catherine's car burning and they suspected the body inside of the car was Catherine. Oh my God. So by 2pm that day, so only two hours after they turned up at the house, Raphael is arrested on suspicion of murder. Wow. And they have 24 hours to hold him 
and either charging or releasing. The following day, Anna is also arrested on suspicion of murder. He's not hearing. But once the 24 hours are up for Raphael, they release him without charge. Right. He briefly speaks to Catherine's parents, not once mentioning Catherine at all, but just saying that he wants a state dinner after being locked up for a day. And what? He, so he goes to spend the night in a hotel, and I assume he has a state dinner. You're kidding me. So he didn't demand a state dinner from Jane. No, he, no, he just, just said, he said that's what he needs to do. I'll see you later. Yeah, because he's been in... Wow. He's, he, he's told him he was innocent, but he's been locked up for her, so he, he really wants a state dinner. That's what he was looking forward to. No mention of Catherine, her daughter. Or so being the, heartbroken that she's dead. Exactly. So the day after, on the 14th, after speaking again with her parents, they believe he's grieving. So just like they are, and just like they are grieving at the loss of their daughter, yeah. his partner. So they tell him to go and stay with them so they can grieve together. Right. So he goes to them to stay with them on the night. On the 15th, the day after, Raphael is arrested again. And they also arrest Anna's cousin, who I mentioned earlier. Now, I'm not sure that if this was intentional or not, because it seems like it was. I can only find the implication that it was, not the d- definitive fact. But after Raphael is arrested for the second time, at some point, Raphael and Anna are in a police car together, and the police record a conversation between them in which they tell each other that they love each other, among other things, wow. of confirming to the police what they had been denying, that they were in a relationship together. Wild. That seems like some clever policing to me. I don't think that was by accident, but they never categorically say it was intentional. Right. Over the next few days, both Anna and Raphael are formally charged and remanded into custody. Towards the end of November, Ted F's and his cousin would initially be charged with murder and remanded into custody. It would go to trial because they would all plead not guilty to murder so it doesn't mean that they did it. So with regards to the email account that they would communicate, the library account, if you remember, Anna's library mm-hmm. account, the police found that email account. So they would have proof that they would check together and be in a sexual relationship. Yeah. Now, after her arrest, they would find in Anna's car, in a secret compartment, a SIM card hidden that would show the communications between Raphael and Anna both directions showing, without doubt, that they were in an active relationship and it was them who were sending the messages. Wow. When arrested, Raphael would tell the police, now you understand, now you're going to understand why they did what they did. When arrested, Raphael would tell the police that Catherine would regularly sleep with men from adult websites. That on, her night, on the night before she dies, that she left home to go and meet a man. And it was that man who had killed her, he guessed. On the 8th. Yes. On the 8th of September, four days before she died, Catherine would receive a text message from the mystery man in question. That Raphael, that man that Raphael said that must have killed Catherine. Catherine would receive a text message. Now, the police would find two lots of evidence related to this message. Yeah. The first one they would find would be on Anna's computer. They would find in her history 
that she had used Google Translate to translate the message that Catherine would receive on her phone from Polish into English. Right. They were then also able to confirm that the mystery number that they sent the message would be Anna's hidden SIM card. Oh, God. On the 9th of September, the day after Catherine received a text from her mystery lover, in inverted brackets, but really from Anna, CCTV would show Anna and her cousin visiting the local Morrison supermarket petrol forecourt. Mm. And it would show the cousin filling a petrol can with five litres of petrol and the shop CCTV would show Anna paying for it. Now, this is the petrol that the police said was used to set Catherine's car on fire. Yeah. The police and prosecution believes that the original plan was actually to kill Catherine on the following day in the 10th, but they were foiled. At 1.30am in the morning of the 10th, an automatic number plate recognition system would pick up Anna's cousin driving to her house. At 1.33am, a woman from Northern Ireland would call Catherine's second mobile by accident, waking Catherine up. Raphael answered the phone, but Catherine was already awake by then, meaning that the plan to kill her was foiled. Mm-hmm. At 3.03am on the 10th that morning, Anna used her secret SIM card to phone Raphael, thus linking the two together completely. Now, while it was not, one, not, while it was not known what was said, it was argued that Raphael was telling Anna that he couldn't kill Catherine because she had woken up. On the 11th of September, CCTV would show Raphael and Catherine shopping at Tesco for food, what would ultimately be her last meal. So Raphael knowing this, but Catherine being blissfully unaware of the fact. They would be buying stuff for burgers, actually. And now at 947 Catherine would send her last ever text message, one to her father, Philip, that simply said, love you lots, XXX. Oh, my God. Poor Catherine. Now, while this had never been proven 100% due to the state of the body, due to the fire, it is believed that between 2 and 3 a.m. on the 12th of September, Raphael woke up early and smothered Catherine in her bed. They had proof that he'd set his alarm to vibrate um, at some point in that time to wake up early and that he smothered her in her bed, killing her uh, with a pillow. And then Anna and her cousin turned up at the property shortly after 4am. At, f- at 4, so I guess on the 10th, the reason why she phoned him at 3 was to check yeah. whether she was dead. Um so that woman from Northern Ireland randomly gave her at least an extra almost two days. Did we ever find out why that person It's just randomly... a wrong number. Just a wrong number. Oh. Yeah. Um, at 4.50am, Anna and her cousin removed Catherine's lifeless body from her home and they placed it in Catherine's car, with one of them driving her car and the other one driving the car that they came in. At 5.10am, Raphael leaves for work, making a point to say good morning and waving goodbye to his, to his Slovakian neighbours. But that actually worked against him because they would later testify that he did this. But also, because he did this, they noticed that Catherine's car was not in the driveway when he left. Seven minutes later, at 5.17am, 
Catherine's phone would be used to send a text message to the mystery lover SIM card, a message that made it look like she was still alive and on her way to go and see him. And as I mentioned earlier, at 5.39am, Raphael clocks into work. So you can see what they were doing. They're trying to get him an alibi. Yeah. At 6.22am, like I said at the very beginning, both locals and motorists report a car on fire. At 8.20am, CCTV would capture Anna Tor taking her car to be cleaned. Now, unsurprisingly... They're calculated, isn't it? Like, they've killed a woman, and then their behaviour that's tracked in the hours after isn't is faultless yeah i'm gonna go to work i'm gonna clock on i'm gonna behave as normal and i'm gonna go and get my car cleaned like and then i'll contact the sister and say Catherine's not coming to work if it's it it must take a different kind of person to be able to behave like normally in those circumstances the way these people can i know even even the cousin buying the petrol like yeah what the hell so you're going to love this, George, Rachel. It's going to be your new <laughs> hero. All three would be found guilty of merger, murder. The judge stating that even though it was Rafael that actually killed Catherine, they believe that Anna would be equally as responsible and also her cousin, as he had been the one to buy the petrol and set the car on fire, so he knew what was happening. Yeah. It was argued that they waited to set the car on fire until after they knew Rafael would be in work in order to give him that rock-solid alibi that we mentioned. Right. Now, do you remember we covered on the Patreon episode those two children that killed uh, their mum? And that was unusual because they stuck by each other all the way through the trial, which is what doesn't normally happen. Now, so by the time that the trial came, Rafael and Anna would be blaming each other saying that the other one was responsible and that they were innocent. Now, Anna would even get, while she was on remand in prison, a fellow prisoner who was getting out of jail to post a letter to the prosecution claiming to be from a Polish hitman, saying that Anna had nothing to do with it and that Rafael was a guilty one who hired him to do it. Wow. Now, the cousin's defence, albeit his unsuccessful defence, would argue that he shouldn't be charged with murder as he only assisted after the fact. Either Anna or her cousin had used a heavy instrument also to break open Catherine's skull to try and take her away from the real cause of death. And do you know what? Like, apart from that, but totally, like, an, as an aside and equally important comment, he bought petrol, at, like, instead of calling the police, yeah? He had ample opportunity to alert the authorities. And isn't that, you know, part of the court cases, you know, even even if somebody has physically killed the other person, how they then behave all adds to their, like, their pleas, their, their like, yes. guilty versus innocent, but also then to their sentencing because he had ample time to raise a red flag and say, this is wrong, I'm going to do what's right, I'm a decent human being, but they're going to, find him guilty and charge him exactly the same, hopefully, because he had an equal part in not giving that woman a, a proper burial and for her family to be able to say goodbye to her. Like, just awful. This is why I love talking true crime with you, Rachel. I love the way your mind works. Exactly that mind. Sorry. So, no, it's, no, it's exactly like mine. I don't apologise at all. So she gave them all, the judge gave them all a life sentence. 
with a minimum term of 32 years each. Wow. Now, unfortunately, yes, unfortunately, though, the story does not end here. Rafael would appeal to the British courts, saying that he should serve his sentence in a Polish prison. Oh, yeah. And that, given that he would be deported there afterwards anyway. Now, this was accepted, and he would be moved to Poland, but this upset the family of Catherine. This was because the Polish legal system doesn't take into consideration premeditated aspects of murder. So the seven years, a part of his 32 years that he got, technically wouldn't need to be served. So while the British CPS spokesperson said that they trusted the Polish legal system to honour the 32 years, they couldn't stop him being released seven years earlier if they decided to, which, in all honesty, probably will happen. So did that block his petition to get No, he, he got accepted, he got moved. So oh, he's in Poland now in prison, yeah. So, But Catherine's family, they didn't have enough time to try and fight it because they found out too late. But when Anna and her, and her cousin appealed, because as soon as he did this happened, Anna and her cousin then put their appeals in to, to preserve their time in Poland, obviously to try and get their seven years off. Anna's, no? Catherine's, Catherine's family this time now uh, knew about it because they knew in advance. So with the help of their MP, they lobbied that it shouldn't happen, that they shouldn't be deported until the end of their sentence. So he's been, the the three of these people, they've been found guilty by a court of law, right? By a jury, uh, after they've heard all the evidence. And they have to have absolutely no reasonable doubt that these three individuals are completely guilty of murdering this woman. And then that defence attorney still tries to find, in each case, but successfully, unfortunately, with Rafael, a loophole to allow him to get out earlier. How do these defence attorneys want these people who so in such cold blood and i get it right some people genuinely are found guilty when they're innocent or they're also given ridiculous sentences that they need to challenge and fight against but when you are found guilty and there's so much evidence mounting towards your guilt these humans are still finding ways to reduce your sentence and get you out in the streets earlier. How do they sleep at night? I don't know. But they appealed that they shouldn't be um, deported until the end of their sentence. Now, after a couple of years, it took a couple of years for the the uh, Anna's and her cousins' appeal to go through, the, uh, Catherine's f- family was relieved to find that the pair of them lost their appeal that they would need to serve the minimum of 32 years in a British prison system. After the original conviction of the three, Catherine's mum, Jane, speaking on behalf of the entire family, would release a statement saying that she was loved by all, that she was a kind soul who had a bright future ahead of her. They had welcomed, she said that they had welcomed Raphael into their home and they had even let him grieve with them. Only for him, to kill their daughter for one reason only, money. They said it was a struggle for them and they found it hard to see a future without Catherine. Now, I think we can all agree, Rachel, that we understand why they said that, that they found it hard uh, to see a future without them. But 
So what do you think of this? What are your thoughts on both the crime, the sentencing for all, and Rafael's successful appeal and move to Poland? I think the crime is just so calculated and cold-blooded and so unnecessary. Like, he was already getting so many benefits from this family who thought that he loved their daughter. Why couldn't he have just been satisfied with what he could have taken from a house sale and uh, the breakup of a relationship like most of the normal human beings? Um, But then to go on, just to pass comment on the sentencing, like epic work from the judge 32 years is impressive um and really shows how these people must have been portrayed and come across in court for that judge to pass such harsh sentencing in equal measures to all three it's very rare that you hear that in in britain isn't it um but finally just so frustrating and that family must worry continuously that rafael will end up out before his time is up in a prison in a community where you know he might you don't you don't know how easy he might have it in prison over there you don't know what their prison system is like he could be living you know with more relaxed rules like he could be preying on people um and their weaknesses and you know oh i just dread that i dread to think what that family must be going through knowing that he is not suffering the way that their poor daughter did well it's not just that like in if it had been in england or britain england he would have um served a minimum of 32 years that's not guaranteed to be out after 32 minimum yeah. 32 in yeah. poland he can be out after 25 that's not a minimum that's just a sentence and, so um, and also if it had been in england he would have then had to had some license conditions now albeit they would have been I don't know what it would have been because they would deported him, but there would have still been some license conditions, um, but none in Poland. Um, the judge, actually, her sentencing comments were great. That She basically dismissed Rafael as being a good person at all. And then she also said that he had a previous criminal record. She also then turned to like Anna and her cousin and said that you neither of you have got a previous criminal record. But she basically said, I don't care... The, the 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 nature of this crime means I'm not even going to take that into consideration. She she told them all that as far as she was concerned, there was not a single mitigating factor that could reduce the reduce the sentence. And I just thought like you don't often hear a judge basically say, "You're horrible people. I'm not going to take yeah. anything into consideration." And that, that I guess the only like saving grace of that is that this. Judge probably has a reputation for that. And the three of them, when they were on trial, knew deep down that she wasn't going to take any prisoners. It's it's just so frustrating that he got to transfer on a technicality and that, um, you know, the family have to live with that knowledge, yeah, that he won't see out that entire sentence. And he could essentially also create his own persona away, can't he, and become Mr. Nice Guy again, wrongly imprisoned. Yeah, yeah. So, this has been Season 2, Episode 12, with an episode title all about the money. And if it's safe for you to do so, I'd like you to relax, close your eyes, and picture the scene. You're in a happy relationship, but you start getting emails from strangers offering sex and going into detailed descriptions about what they'll do to you. 
it then moves to some text messages that look like they're from someone who knows you and they're confirming a liaison with you. What would you do? Would you ignore them, like Catherine? Or would you go somewhere safe? So thank you all for listening. We always enjoy you being on the journey with us. And we shall speak to you all. We shall be with you soon next week. Yeah, thanks, guys. And next week we have a bit of a lighter episode, don't we, Rachel? Yes, thankfully, Andrew's going to take us away from all this gruesome murder um, into more of a refreshing white-collar crime. Potentially not, but we shall see. Okay, okay. Um, Okay, so thank you, everyone, and we'll see you all next week. Thanks, guys. Bye. Thank you.